Falls Church. Now, Mac is out of town this weekend, so I thought I would take advantage of that opportunity and do two things. Number one, I think it's only fair that I get to sit in the throne today since he sat in it last week. Number two, how about those Baylor Bears? All right, Sikkim Bears. Now, Mac is out of town, and so today we have a guest speaking for us today. And actually, guest probably isn't the right word. Today, Alex Judd will be sharing with us. Now, Alex is a staff member with us here at Lake Hills Church, and you've heard Mac over the last several weeks say that we're a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation, and Alex is a big part of our doing that at Lake Hills Church. He works very closely with Pastor Dan Underhill and the students. He teaches in there often, and he also leads and coordinates the Spur Leadership Academy, as well as... All the other Spur Leadership events. I will tell you this. Alex Judd is 23 years old. And he is one of the wisest, most natural leaders I have ever been around in my life. And so will you stand to your feet and put your hands together and welcome Mr. Alex Judd. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Goodness gracious, holy Toledo, good golly, Miss Molly. I am so unbelievably grateful, thankful, honored, and humbled to be here this morning. It was about five years ago, it was the second week of my freshman year in college, that I stepped into Lake Hills Church for the first time. And probably like many of you, it was in that first service about halfway through that I had this gut feeling. There was something inside of me that told me, this is the place that I need to be. These are the people that I need to be surrounded by. And simply put, Lake Hills Church is my home church. Well, ever since that day five years ago, you have been such a family to me. You've surrounded me with love, care, encouragement, and support. You've supported me, you've held me accountable, and you've led me. And now to have the opportunity to speak on this stage, to fill in for Mac Richard, a man that I look up to as my pastor, as a leader, as a mentor, and as a role model, I am overwhelmed with gratitude. And I just found out just the other day that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. I have a question to ask you this morning. Mac isn't here, but Julie is. And I hope that Mac is watching online right now. Are we not blessed to attend a church where Mac and Julie Richard have been chosen by God to lead? Now, something that you'll know about me, if you've ever seen me speak before or communicate before, you'll know that one of my greatest struggles, one of my greatest challenges, one of the biggest criticisms I receive and one of the greatest critiques that I receive is that I lack a certain level of energy and passion. (laughs) 
right? To say that that's sarcastic is an understatement. In fact, it's probably quite the opposite. It wasn't too long ago that I was at one of our kids' camps, and a, and a third grade boy came up to me, and he tapped me on the side. He probably about to hear on me. He tapped me on the side. He said, hey, you're the guy. And I said, dude, what are you talking about? He said, you're the guy. I said, buddy, you got to explain. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, you're the guy that every time you get on stage, mom gets in the car afterwards and says, he has a microphone. He doesn't need to yell. (laughs) I said, you listen to me, kid. (laughs) So I get a little bit excited. And today to say that I'm excited is an understatement. I am so unbelievably stoked, psyched, amped, ready to go to be here today. Mac approached me a couple weeks ago and he said, we're doing this series called Thrones, Royalty Redefined. What an incredible subtitle, Royalty Redefined. And this series is going to look at the life of David. And he said, the topic that I want you to speak on is one word, one word. That word is preparation. Everyone real quick say preparation. Preparation. Come on, you're better than that. Say preparation. preparation. Preparation is the topic we're talking about. And I've always believed in preparation. I've always bought into preparation. I think most of us can get behind the idea of preparation. I'll never forget in college, I had a a professor that before any exam we took, he'd always get up and stand at his podium and he'd say, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, right? Preparation is something we've heard about, we've been taught growing up, but it wasn't until just recently in my life, for me personally, that, that preparation took on an unbelievably higher degree of relevance. Suddenly, I'm learning a lot about preparation right now. You see, I've always grown up a runner. As far back as I can remember, I've loved to run. I can remember back in first grade, whenever my dad and I would lay out a training program to get ready for the John F. Ward Elementary Fun Run. Right? Right? It wasn't a fun run. It was a race. And dag nabbit, I was going to win. Right? That's what my dad told me, at least. Right? But so, so preparation was a topic that from the very beginning as a runner, and, and I continued to love to run. And as I got older, the distances got longer. Now I've done six marathons, and my sophomore year in college, I started to say, okay, well, I've got endurance. That's a strength. So where can I, where else can I take this? And, and I started doing triathlons. The idea that it's not just running, it's swimming, biking, and running. And I loved the variety. I loved the culture that surrounded triathlons. And ever since my first triathlon, my sophomore year, I always had this dream. Always had this goal. Always had this vision. I always knew that sometime in the distance, I wanted to do a full Ironman. Now, a full Ironman, if you've never heard of this race before, it's known as one of the greatest tests of human endurance on the planet. It's a, it's a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run for fun, right? And, and this is something that I knew that one day, and I always thought of it as being distant. But suddenly, I started doing some research just this year and found out the only full in Texas is in the woodlands, about three hours away. And I started looking into it, and, and the date they moved the date to May 14th. And well, that lined up with, with my work schedule, and, and I said, well, I can train for that. And then suddenly someone stepped in, they said, if you do the work, I'll pay for it. And suddenly all these things lined up to where something that seemed like a dream that was in the distant became very, 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 very present. Right? And, and so, so I started researching it, I started looking into it, and I found myself on the webpage, and then one day I'm in a coffee shop and I just start filling out the information. 
And, and just like any big decision, lots of big decisions in our life, you can point back to one defining moment. And, and sure enough, the defining moment in this decision in my life was at the bottom of the webpage. It was a button that said complete registration. And, and directly below that button are three words, no refunds permitted. Right? This is it. I'm either in or I'm out. It's game on or game over. And I think about it a little bit. And I pray about it a little bit. And then I click. And almost immediately, two thoughts rushed to the forefront of my mind. The first thought, holy Toledo, what have I done? Oh my gosh, the hardest thing that I have ever done, mentally, physically, and probably emotionally, is coming in exactly nine months. The hardest thing that I have ever done is coming in exactly nine months. And then a second thought, almost immediately, this must be what it feels like to find out you're pregnant. (laughs) Right? But isn't that true? Isn't that true about preparation? Whether you're preparing for a race or preparing for a newborn child, Preparing, preparing for a new life stage, preparing to be married, preparing for a new career, preparing for a test if you're a student, preparing for a game if you're an athlete. Regardless, preparation is a universally relevant topic. Preparation is a universally relevant topic. And I know, we've said it this morning, Lake Hills Church is a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation. Give it up for the next generation real quick, right? But I think that this morning we would be foolish to write off preparation as a topic that is reserved to the next generation. Simply put, I think that if you look at any highly effective individual from the Bible, from history, or, or from present day, whether it's from Moses to Noah, from Jesus to David, from Abraham Lincoln to Walt Disney, from Nick Saban to Oprah Winfrey... You see those people, and you see people whose lives and success is a testament to one statement. And if you get none of my other points, I hope that you get this one. Preparation is not a moment in your day. Preparation is a lifestyle. Preparation is not a moment in your day. Preparation is a lifestyle. Preparation is a perpetual pursuit. It's not an act, it's an attitude, it's not a moment, it's a mindset. Preparation is not a moment in your day. Preparation is a lifestyle. And once you start looking at it with that mindset, once you start viewing life through that lens, well then it it has a deep, deep and profound connection to this series we're in. Last week, Max said that royalty redefined is more about responsibility than rights. Royalty redefined is more about responsibility than rights. Simply put, I believe that we have a royal responsibility to be prepared. We have a royal responsibility to be prepared. And I think that we can look to the lives of people like David for a framework and outline of how to live a lifestyle of preparation. Think about the stage that Max set last week. He said that Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel shows up and he's coming to the house of Jesse. And he's coming there with a very, very specific purpose. He's coming to anoint the new king. And he shows up and Jesse brings out the best and the brightest. These are the cream of the crop. His sons are the poster childs of what kingship and leadership look like in that time. 
They're tall, they're strong, they're handsome, they're smart. I mean, these guys are the best of the best. And Samuel shows up and and he says, surely, surely right here, this is the one. Surely this is the one. God says, no, that's not the one. He says, okay, well then surely this is the one. God says, in my mind, God says, no, that's not the one. Stop calling me Shirley. Right, right. But, but, and he goes down the line, and, and that's where that incredible verse comes in where God says, I don't look at people the way you look at people. You look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then look what happens in 1 Samuel 16. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he says, well, there remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now, this is, this is a verse that if you're like me, it's easy to pass over. It's easy to read through. It's easy to glide, right? But, but think about that verse for a second. David is keeping the sheep. That's code for David is working. David is doing his job, right? Now, we don't know at this point in the Bible, we don't know how David is doing his job. We just know that he's out doing his job. For all we know, he may be snoozing on a hammock while the sheep are running wild. But fast forward one chapter, 1 Samuel 17, and David refers to this time in his life. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Two things we can get from that. Two really important things. First of all, David is like the coolest guy ever. Right, right. But, but second of all, David took his job very, very seriously. David took his work very, very seriously. His job was to keep the sheep. Now, I think it would be very easy for him to keep most of the sheep or for him to keep some of the sheep. And whenever a lion or bear came, he'd say, okay, you take those, peace out, and I'll take these guys over here. Right? But that's not what he did. His job was to keep the sheep, to keep all of the sheep. You see, David had set a standard. And if you want to live a lifestyle of preparation, you have to set your standard. Set your standard. David committed to a standard of excellence because he believed in a God of excellence. He lived out before it was even written, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. He knew whether he was eating or drinking. He knew whether he was sleeping or awake, he knew whether he was working or relaxing, he was going to do it for the glory of God. And he knew that you will never glorify a God of excellence by being mediocre. So his job was to keep the sheep, so David kept the sheep. He set his standard, and his standard was to excel. But I think so often, we approach life a little bit differently. I think so often... We let our circumstance, our stage, or our status set our standard instead of letting our God set our standard for us. So often we let everything that's going around us affect the way that we approach life, affect the way that we prepare. We see this a lot, and we talk to students about this a lot in the student ministry. It's it's that once I have phrase. I call it once I have syndrome. You hear it in students when they say, well, Once I have that spot on varsity, then I'll start working hard, right? Once I'm a senior, then I'll have time to go to church. Once once I'm in college, then I'll start sleeping well and studying. Yeah, good luck with that one, 
right? It's once I have syndrome. But what I've learned just a year out of college is that this is not an issue reserved to students. You hear it all the time. Once I have that car, once I have that house, once I have that career, once I have that spouse. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. But it's a very, very real thing. And what we're doing in that moment, instead of perceiving being in a chair like this, we're perceiving ourselves being in a chair like this, right? And we, and we sit here, and golly, this is uncomfortable. And we sit, and what do we do? We whine and we complain. And we say, I can't do anything from this seat. I can't do anything until I get where I want to go. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be, have poor performance. I'm going to be mediocre and I'm going to complain and I'm going to whine and I'm going to play the role of a victim. And somehow in our minds, we think that one day we're going to be teleported up here. And now I have arrived and everything is right with the world, right? My, my family is all getting along just perfectly so now I have time to serve. My salary is right where it should be. So now I have time to give. Right? My football team is winning every weekend. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So now I can have a good attitude on Mondays. And my boss finally gets me. So it's all going to work out. That attitude is operating outside of the realm of reality. And that is nowhere close to what David did. David knew that he had to excel where he was with what he had. Excel where you are with what you have. That's a lifestyle of preparation. Because David unknowingly lived out the fact that if he couldn't keep, protect, and lead a flock of sheep, how could he ever keep, lead, and protect a nation. And I was thinking about this concept, and a lot of time with students, we talk a lot, I'm going to put this back here so I don't break it, we talk a lot about, okay, we, we taught you the theory, now how do we make it practical? How do we make it highly, highly applicable? How do you start putting this into action? And I thought, what is the quickest and easiest way to eliminate any element of entitlement and kill any symptom of selfishness? The quickest and easiest way to do this Say a prayer of gratitude every morning. Say a prayer of gratitude every morning. Because when you wake up thanking God for the things you have that you don't deserve, suddenly you're not complaining about your seat. Suddenly you're rejoicing that you have a place to sit. And suddenly you start to recognize and maximize the opportunities that God has placed in front of you. Say a prayer of gratitude every single morning. And then once you start living like that, and once you start setting that standard, living that life of preparation, well then you have a choice to make. You have to choose between what matters now and what matters most. Choose between what matters now and what matters most. I was faced with this very, very close up this weekend, right? Friday night rolls around. And what I've found more and more uh, in, in kind of training for this Ironman, the more that you read, the more that you realize that the training for triathlons and endurance events like this, they say that 50% is physical and mental training. An entire half, 50% is nutrition. 50% is nutrition. 
Now, I've never been someone that I'm like, man, I just need some chocolate cake. Man, I just have to have some cookies right now. Like, I'm not, that's not me. Baked goods, eh, it's all good. Just remove them, right? For me, it's ice cream. All right? Literally, the Bluebell famine of 2015 was devastating. Absolutely. Now, I will tell you, Creamy Creations... It's still a half gallon at HEB, 448 for the half Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We could call that a tangent, but I think it's essential in a talk about preparation. You have to have the right ice cream. All right? But for me, ice cream is my weakness. I love ice cream and I love popcorn. And sure enough, Friday night rolls around this week and I think, man, boy, choose between what I want now and what I want most. Boy, I want some ice cream. I don't just want a bowl of ice cream. I want a carton of ice cream. Right? That's what I want now. Literally all the time. Choosing between what I want now and what I want most, though. What I want most is I want to I cross the finish line on May 14th. What I want most is I want Sunday morning to go really, really, really well. And I know that Sunday morning won't go well unless if I take the time to go for a really long run on Saturday morning to prepare. So sure enough, that night I had whole wheat spaghetti and a bowl of spinach and kale. Next morning, the alarm went off at 4.30. Went out for a 20-mile run, and it was awesome. It was unbelievable. Now, what I'm saying is not that we all need to go on a 20-mile run tomorrow. I'm not going to do that. And I'm also not saying that we all need to go after church and have a nice big bowl of quinoa and lentils. Heck no. No, I love that like half the church goes to Pete Terry's after service, right? I'm convinced, I'm convinced if Wesley showed up with a guitar, it would be Lake Hills Church at 1230. Like, I mean, it would, (laughs) Pete Terry's. But, But what I am saying is that we live in a world that is persistently pursuing the pleasure of the present. And sometimes that's not what God has for us. Sometimes the things that God is taking you through are preparing you for the place that God is taking you to. Did you catch that? The things that God is taking you through are preparing you for the place that God is taking you to. This is the idea of delayed gratification. We live in a world of constant and instant gratification. I want more and I want it now. I want more and I want it now. I want more and I want it now. But look at what David did. David knows he's been anointed king. He has a choice to make between what he wants now and what he wants most. He could literally run up to the throne and say, I've been anointed, I am the king. But that's not what he did. Look at what it says. And David came to Saul and entered his service. He came to Saul. This is a man that is currently the king, and he is mentally in in a pretty bad spot. Saul is a leader that is paranoid. He's tormented. David came to Saul and entered his service. He didn't take his spot. He entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. David became his personal attendant. And Saul, look at what Saul does. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. David served. David prepared through service. David delayed the gratification of what he wants now for what he wants most. He wanted to rule in a way that honored God, so he entered in service. 
I think this is hyper-relevant today because so often you hear on the radio and on the news and you see books written and TED Talks given about this really, really just, just brand new topic. It's incredible. It's original. It's the idea of servant leadership. Servant leadership anything isn't anything new. It's called Jesus. Right? Servant leader. And, and for me, like the whole term servant leadership, it's the servant leadership revolution. For me, it's redundant. Because you're either serving or you're not a leader. You're either serving or you're not a leader. If serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. You're either serving or you're not a leader. Choose between what you want now and what you want most. What does God want for you? The things that God is taking you through is preparing you for the place that he wants to take you to. And then once you do that, once you set your standards, you say, I'm going to live, work, lead with the life of excellence to glorify an excellent God. Once you delay gratification and ignore, I want more and I want, and I want it now. Once you do that, you're able to conquer with confidence. David and Goliath, one of the greatest stories ever told. It's, it's unbelievable the, the, the ramifications it's had for our culture and our society. It's absolutely a story that has transcended the Christian faith. You find it in metaphors and references in sports, in news, in culture, in history. It's the story of David and Goliath. And think about it for a second. David enters into this valley. It's the Philistines versus the Israelites. And there's this guy that is taunting the Christian faith. It says that Goliath was, was six cubits and a span tall. Now I looked it up. That's nine foot ten. Nine foot ten. Yeah, people are freaking out right now. Nine, that's taller than this. This is Goliath. They say that David was tall for that time, so David was about six feet. By any account, we could perceive David as the underdog in this story. And everyone at that time perceived David as the underdog in that story, except for David. Because David didn't view it as David versus Goliath. David viewed it as God working through David versus Goliath. Check out the way he enters into this situation real quick. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. There's been research done. They say that the tip of Goliath's spear was about 15 pounds. 15 pounds. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and will strike you and take your head from you. What the heck? Right? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David conquered with confidence. David didn't view himself as an underdog. David walking, walked in knowing he was going to win, and he told Goliath, I'm going to win today. But he's not saying, I'm going to win today. He's saying, God's going to win today. And some people would perceive this as arrogance. And I don't think that's correct. I think arrogance is believing you are going to do something great. I think confidence is believing God is going to do something great. David conquered with confidence. The kind of confidence that a lifestyle of preparation permits. David had done the work. He had delayed gratification. He had set a standard of excellence for his entire life 
So he conquered with confidence. And I think that he internalized a phrase that we could all learn something from. I think four words, four words that could absolutely change the culture of our homes, our offices, our schools, our communities. Four words that could absolutely change the face of the planet if we actually lived them out. And David lived it out. Four words. It's not about me. It's not about me. David said, it's not about me. And in doing this, David was saying, it's about my God. When's the last time we lived like that? When's the last time we said, it's not about me, it's about my God? Because when you do that, you're able to step up to any situation, any circumstance, any stage, and you're able to say, my God, my God, my God is irrefutable, undeniable, uncontainable, unstoppable, unconditional, immutable, undescribable. My God is the God of the universe. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He created the sun and the moon, the stars and the sky, the earth and the heavens. And my God sent His Son to die for me so that I may live. That is the type of confidence that a lifestyle of preparation allows, permits, and opens up. When's the last time that you looked, lived, and led like that? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I'm humbled and grateful for this opportunity that you've put in front of me. God, I pray this morning that we internalize this message. I pray that we start to shift our lives so that we are living in a lifestyle of preparation. God, I pray that we recognize it's not about me. And start living our lives to reflect and glorify a perfectly excellent God. If you're someone in this room today and you're hearing this message and maybe it's a message you've heard before but for some reason this time it's hitting home. And you're making a decision that right now you want to say it's not about me. It's about my God. If that's hitting home with you right now and you're feeling that and you're believing that for the first time in your life I want to encourage you to step into that I want to encourage you to accept that and I want to encourage you to breathe and pray and if that's you and you are praying that prayer for the first time in your life know that this is the moment that you were created for And with everyone's heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed, if this is a moment where you're accepting Christ in your life for the first time, my prayer is that you would have the courage and the confidence to just raise your hand.
And I want you to know that this is a moment that will change your life. This is the moment that you were created for. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the things you've given us that we don't deserve, God. And we thank you for being a perfect and holy God that conquers with confidence, that lives on the throne above and reigns over all. And if that was you, we have a tradition around here that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together.